Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 211. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session number 211 you are listening to. My guest today is Jamison Durr, who is a Bay Area recording engineer, mixer, and producer that works on a variety of music genres from local legends like Sammy Hagar, Joe Satriani, Chickenfoot, The Circle, The Dead, Dan the Automator, as well as many others. And Jamie recently joined me for a cup of coffee outside of Phil's Coffee in Lafayette, California, for a chat about his journey. So Jamison Durr coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, grab your coffee. Let's talk about some New Year's resolutions as well as some other things that are going on. New Year's resolutions. Uh, as I have mentioned in the past, I am now officially out of debt from all things from the studio that ultimately led to the creation of the Working Class Audio Podcast. That feels a little strange. I think I'm still in shock because I've been in debt for so long that I just don't know of any other way to think about my financial reality. But the reality is, is I got disciplined about it and I solved it. The New Year's resolution, of course, is to, of course, save up many months of uh, reserve so that uh, should work dry up and there be nothing to uh, rely upon, I can lean back on that savings. So I'm curious about what your New Year's resolutions are, if you've got any uh, great ideas. If you want to reach out to me privately, of course, you can reach me at matt at workingclassaudio.com. If you want to do it publicly, you can, of course, uh, post it on our Facebook page or, or mention us in a tweet or uh, Instagram. Use all the typical social media things. I think you all know what they are. And if you don't, they're out there. You know, I've mentioned the Working Class Audio Journal. And I just turned in the final bits and pieces that will be a part of the first volume, volume one of the Working Class Audio Journal coming at you in 2019. I'll tell you more about it as uh, time goes along. I assume in this first month or two of January, February 2019, we should see it, the first volume come out. It will be available in physical copies as well as digital copies, of course. The goal is is to release four volumes a year. It took us a while to kind of put the format together for volume one, but uh, volumes two, three, and four for 2019 should come out a lot quicker, and we'll have those out to you. So like I say, I'll talk to you more about it as time goes along. You'll be able to hopefully uh, purchase from a link on the Working Class Audio site, or you can go to your favorite bookstore, or you can go to uh, your favorite uh, digital bookstore. But yeah, Working Class Audio Journal coming up to you. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. 
And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Well, it's time to get to it. Let's jump into our interview. This takes place over at Phil's Coffee in Lafayette, California, outside on a rainy day where we are shielded from the rain, but uh, outside nonetheless. So it comes with all of its sounds of the parking lot and people walking by who had no clue what we were doing, even though they saw the microphones. And In fact, this one lady in particular just stopped and... Uh, started rambling. So um, <laughs> Jamie commented, said, uh, I think she wants to be on the show. So uh, we'll bring it to you in all its glory. That's right. So Jameson Durr here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. We're at a kind of a rainy day here in Lafayette, California, outside of Phil's Coffee, uh, which is fairly newly opened. And uh, I've had so much coffee today, I'm actually drinking tea. <laughs> so that's that's got to say something. Well, let's just jump right in. Where did you grow up? I uh, grew up in uh, in Modesto, California. It's uh, Central Valley, probably about you know hour and a half from San Francisco. Huh. I got my start there. Where did you get exposed to audio on a professional level? I would say it would be the first studio that I interned at in Modesto. It's not a whole lot there as far as recording studios. So yeah, um, there's this guy that kind of decked out his you know, three or four car garage into a full-blown studio. I started off interning there. What was the name of that studio? Sound Chamber. Sound Chamber. And what was the name of the guy? Frank (laughs) Embessy. Is he still around? I think so. Yeah, I think he's still actually working out of that place. Wow. But uh, yeah, it was was a good place to get a start. Bit of a mentor? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, that was kind of my first step into the professional music industry, you know. You know, working with a you know full-on multi-channel console, and at that time it was ADATs. So I don't know what he's running now, but <laughs> hopefully he's graduated from that. How did you graduate out of that? What what came next? Well, I knew it could only grow so much in that small town, and I always had a tie to the Bay Area, San Francisco specifically. So you know, I liked a lot of the bands that came out of there. When the opportunity came, I just decided to make my move out to San Francisco and to start looking for uh, studios to work out of. And so I happened upon Coast Recorders, which is no longer there. This is the one on uh, Harrison Street. Okay, so this yeah. was this was originally the Golden State Recorders yes. building. Yes. And this is, you're talking at a time when Dan Alexander yep. and John Cunaberti yep. moved over to the Golden State building. Yeah. Took the Coast name from 1340 Mission Dan was over at 1340 Mission, which was the original That's Bill right. Putnam room. Uh-huh. And then which was then they moved to the Golden State Recorders building. That was Dan's second incarnation of Coast. Right. Now I remember. There was this confusion because there was Coast and then Coast became Toast. That's right. <laughs> and Craig Sylvie yeah. and Philip yeah. Steer ran the 1340 Mission building as yeah. Toast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's well, a lot of history way back in the early 2000s and the yeah, late 90s. <laughs> there is. There was a lot of activity in the Bay Area then. That's kind of a jump to go from yeah Modesto I, to that situation. I, I went into that studio thinking I knew everything. It's just like, oh, I worked at studios. I know everything. And then they just kind of put me in my place like, no, this is how we do things here. And, you know, hearing 
you know, they had a Neve console and uh, Studer tape machines and vintage mics and an awesome live room. And it just blew my mind. It's like, oh, this is what real records sound like. You know, so I knew I'd, I'd stepped into the right place. What did you learn from that experience? You know, when you work at that level with the clientele that came in there, Chris Isaac had recorded there and Mr. Bungle and a handful of other big name artists that were there. So what I learned was, you know, catering to the client and, you know, because I started off as a runner and intern. So mm. I was, you know, making coffee, washing dishes and, you know, being a runner, getting lunch. And, you know, so you, you know, whatever that client needs to be comfortable in the studio, that's really what I took from that place and just a level of professionalism. The house engineer at the time was Justin Phelps, who was a past guest on your show. And, and I learned a lot from him. I'd say he was a mentor. And John Cunaberti was there, too, kind of on his way out at that time. But as he kind of gone on to mastering at that point. But it was a really eye-opening experience being to coast. Any hard lessons learned? Yes. I got to assist on a lot of sessions. And there was one session. Fortunately, it wasn't a, a high-profile client. It was, uh, you know, like a, um, you know, it was an intern project. And we were doing overdubs on this project. I didn't really know that much about tape machines at, the, at that time. And the uh, other intern that was letting me kind of drive the tape machine, he says, OK, let's, uh, you know, let's let's record the lead vocal, like, you know, start at the top, put it in record and, you know, let's go, let's track the vocal. So I hit it in record and we're seeing the counter go by and we're waiting. It's like, when's the music supposed to start? I thought it was supposed to start already. He's like, wait, 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 hit stop. It's like, OK, hit rewind. Can I hit play? All of a sudden, the music just comes in abruptly, like cut off. And we're just like, oh, crap. We just recorded over the intro <laughs> of the song. You had all tracks It wasn't necessarily my fault, but I didn't realize that 24 blinking red lights on the <laughs> thing meant everything's in record. So it kind of wasn't my fault. It was the other guys. But that was kind of like It's almost like a stop sign. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Everything's recording. Everything's recording. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. At that point, I learned like, oh, yeah. Watch for big red flashing lights. 24 of them. Wow. I bet you you never did that. On <laughs> I never that did level. that again. I, I kind of felt scared, like, uh, maybe I should leave. But, you know, they assured me, it's okay. It's okay. This happens. And this is, you know, tape. It's not Pro Tools. You can't hit undo. So <laughs> it's kind of forever. You're learning the, the ropes of recording in that situation. But yeah. did you also learn business type things that have to do with the recording world? It's a good question. Yeah, I didn't really deal with the business side when I was at Coast. But several years later, after that closed, Justin Phelps and I opened up uh, Studio C at Hyde Street. Mm. And that's when I kind of got an eye opening to music business and or studio business rather and, you know, having to pay rent and bills and fixing gear. <laughs> so yeah, I got exposed to that. You know, once you become a studio owner, as you know, being a past studio owner, it's oh, <laughs> God, tell me about it. <laughs> You know, the elephant in the room with Hyde Street. I love Hyde Street, and mm -hmm. there's it's a great space. It's, yeah. You know, and there's been a lot of great people like yourself who have kind of come and gone uh, throughout the years there, but that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, San Francisco has changed dramatically, but that neighborhood does not ever seem to change. It's, and for the listener, yeah. it's a... There's a lot of homeless people. There's mm -hmm. a lot of drug use, a lot of drug dealing. Yeah. You know, and if... You're streetwise and have been in an, uh, an urban environment long enough. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But if you're kind of fresh off the turnip truck, mm -hmm. it's a little intimidating. Yeah. Especially at one and two in the morning. Yeah. I try not to operate at those hours. But yeah, the crazies do come out at night. I've been there for 14 years and I will say I've had no problems with any, any of that, you know, riffraff that's on the street. You know, so, um, you know, it can be intimidating. A lot of the clients that do go there, they know about that, you know, and it's like once you step beyond those doors, it's another world inside. Yeah. You know, you're in this crazy neighborhood and then you step inside to this, you know, multi-million dollar recording studio. With such you know. history behind yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. The history is pretty amazing. And it's I'm glad that it's still standing after all these studios are closing in the Bay Area right now. It's, it's a historical uh, landmark, is it not? It is. Yeah. They just put a plaque out on the sidewalk that states that, you know, it's going back to the Wally Hyder days, because that's, you know, when it started in the late 60s. Right. Yeah. I think that at some point there was an attempt to add on to the building or make condos or do something. And yeah, that that's all... been going on for years. And, you know, it was a little scary at first. And now they've been saying it so much. It's like, OK, yeah, it's probably not going to happen because of the neighborhood. You know, who wants to live there? <laughs> 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 no. 
you know, how, and how much you're going to be able to charge in a neighborhood like that. So it's right. It's I think that's what's kind of the sketchy neighborhood kind of keeps the studio there. It's it's, it's that's sad that grace. that's yeah. the case. I know it is. So you and Justin uh, moved over into Studio C. That's at Hyde uh, Street. Yeah, that's upstairs at Hyde Street because yes. there's two levels at Hyde Street. Yep. Studio C. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that used to be run as Alpha and Omega by Sandy Perlman yes. of Blue Oyster Cult fame. It was, yeah. I know that room because when I was in this band, The Sextants, we mm -hmm. used to do um, midnight to 8 a.m. sessions there. <laughs> wow. It was $300. Wow. Eng engineer named David Plank would uh, record us. Yeah, so I, I remember that that fondly and not so fondly at the same time. So I you know, had spent some time there. Yeah. Tell me about your experience there as a renter all these years. Hmm. And, of course, Justin's moved on. He's gone up to Portland yeah. to Hallowed Halls. Yeah, he has. Uh, yeah, so I've been there for, for 14 years, and it's, you know, being a student, it, just like I think anybody in the industry, your workflow goes up and down, or your business, you know, your clientele. So it's kind of the same with the studio. You know, you have some slow periods, and then you have some, you know, you're booked every day, not the month. So we just try to bank that into savings and then just ride the wave you know just try to keep it use the surplus for um the short days and that's a that's a single room yeah we've got one iso one large uh live room okay yeah who is with you there now a partner of mine scott mcdowell and he was partners with justin when justin left scott and i just tried to keep it going with ourselves and we did that for quite a while and then we called in some other partners to help us out you know, to kind of fill the calendar. And it's usually other engineers that have clientele mm. and maybe some gear. So they bring that to the table. I think that's what's kind of really kept us there is that it's it's always usually three people with gear and clientele. And that usually can kind of fill the calendar. You know, if you think about it, it's like, well, each guy only needs to book 10 days a month and then we've we've got it. Over the years, you've probably gone through different permutations of, mm -hmm. of this co-op type situation. Mm -hmm. What aspect of the co-op thing have you found doesn't work? What are the elements that you would say, don't do this? I think it's key to have the right partners. Mm. You know, you want somebody that's working, that has, you know, some, some clientele. The gear helps. I think between Scott and I, we've, we've got enough to fill it. So, but yeah, I would say advice for anybody else. Yeah, somebody who's got something to kind of add to it add to the you know to the studio mm -hmm. you know so you know having some gear in there is something you know that kind of keeps them going there because they want to use their gear yeah I, I think that's the key is really just getting the right partner in don't there, get you know? the wrong partner yeah you yeah. want somebody that's you know that's working working and you know wants to bring in business you know because they're liable for the the overhead you know uh -huh. the rent you know and there has been time where partners have gone there just like you know i can't do this anymore it's like okay and you know we just try to look for somebody else but it's been it's been scott and i for probably 10 years. That's a good run. Yeah. How do you find the um, the differences in workflow and trying to, you know, with the gear that you have, mm -hmm. you know, some people like different monitors, some people like the computer setup different. Some people mm -hmm. like the dock on the bottom, the dock on the left. <laughs> you know, it's like all those like little tiny yeah. things. Do you just all that's have a, separate accounts on the computer? That's or? a good question. Yeah. We typically just set up different accounts and um, roll with that. But yes, yeah, the computer setup and how you have your kind of workflow is all personal to each engineer and so that's typically what we do i mean we kind of decide as partners like how we're going to lay stuff out like you know what gear should we buy next you know where should we you know lay out the gear in the rack and how should it be laid out in the patch bay and you know we also have it open to other outside engineers so we try to make it as easy as possible so that you know when an outside engineer comes in you can just show them in like 30 minutes how everything is routed and patched and then they're up and running. You ever come in and somebody's completely disconnected something and you're trying to get something to work and you think, who was in here last? Oh yeah, that does happen time to time. Somebody will crawl behind the racks and like, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, patch into these other inputs or this isn't working, so we're going to patch into this. But typically we try to just, you know, keep the communication open and, you know, kind of set up the next guy for success and say, oh, hey, you know, by the way, I unpatched this, it's patched into that. But once in a while, somebody forgets and, you know, you have to go, why is this passing signal? You know, in the heat of the battle when you're in a session, it can be kind of nerve wracking and you have to uh, keep your cool and just like, okay, well, that doesn't work. Let's move on to another pre <laughs> you know, or another mic. And then, you know, then you kind of make a trouble report, you know, go with that. In the course of doing that, you've also become we'll say the the personal engineer or the house engineer mm -hmm. to Sammy Hagar. Yeah. How did that come about? 
That um, came about actually via John Cunaberti again. So another great mentor who kind of pulled me into that camp. And that all started with the first Chickenfoot record. And for people who don't know Chickenfoot, it's Sammy Hagar's one of his um, super groups, which is him and Michael Anthony from Van Halen, Joe Satriani, who's the local Bay Area guitar hero guy, and uh, Chili Pepper drummer Chad Smith. Yeah. And so when that project was getting started, they uh, were going to make a record. And it was kind of secret because nobody really knew about it. And they wanted to keep it under wraps. And uh, so John had called me and was like, hey, I got this project. I want you to help me on. I can't tell you anything about it until you commit to it. I was going, okay, these are the dates. Can you do this? And I was just like, this sounds serious. Like, I'm just going to clear my calendar. Like, I just told him, yeah, let's do this. Who is it? And then he told me the whole lineup was like, holy crap. <laughs> I was like, I'm in. And then so... <laughs> We go in, and it turns out that Andy Johns is the producer oh. on the session. And John was there to kind of facilitate bringing in gear and, and almost like assisting Andy Johns. Because uh, who wouldn't want to assist Andy Johns? Sure. And for people who don't know Andy Johns, he's the brother of Glenn Johns. Yeah. And he's done, you know, Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin, you know, I think that says enough right there <laughs> but unfortunately Andy passed away uh, I think it was a couple years ago yeah yeah, yeah it was pretty sad and I I'm grateful that I got to work with such a, a, a great legend of an engineer oh my god yeah, yeah. So well, like, tell me keep going so we get in there to you know set up for the sessions and you know I get to meet all the guys and it's great like, these guys are all my heroes it's like this is amazing like I've arrived. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so a couple days into it while we're working, John just decides, like, you know what? It's like, I, I don't really need to be here. Like, Jamie has this. It's like, I'll just kind of come and go. And, you know, Jamie can just be Andy's assistant. And so I just ran Pro Tools. You know, he's an old school guy. So he just sat at the console and did his thing and did the producing and twiddled the knobs, getting sounds. And I just ran Pro Tools, which was cool, you know, because that was my thing. That's what I knew how to do really well. You know, Andy is from L.A. He's, you know, an Englishman, but he, he lived in L.A. And once the project was done, Sammy still wanted to do some punch-ins on his vocals and, you know, do more vocal stuff. So he just ended up calling me direct, you know, saying, well, you know how to run Pro Tools. Just set up a mic and record me. So I was like, okay. So I just kind of rolled into that position doing that. This record took place at Sammy's yeah. place. Yep up north in, in the Marin area, okay. in San Rafael. I didn't really become Sammy's guy yet because I was still working with John, and John had developed a relationship with Sammy. After that record had happened, there was a second Chicken Foot record, and Mike, yeah, the, um, John, John, Andy had already passed away at that point, and so other engineer that they decided to use to do the next Chicken Foot record was uh, Mike Frazier who was the guy who actually mixed the first Chicken Foot record. So they decided to have him in to do the, uh, to produce, record, and mix the second record. So I ended up getting to assist him. Hmm. And for the listeners who don't know Mike Frazier, he's done ACDC, Aerosmith, Metallica. So he's a big rock guy. He was actually Bob Rock's assistant. So he came up oh. via Bob Rock. So Well, so he knows that was in his first rodeo, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's done some pretty amazing records. I learned a lot working from Mike Frazier, you know, which was awesome. And I, you know, continue to work with Mike on a couple of Joe Satriani records, too, which was, you know, pretty awesome. But then after the second Chicken Foot record, Sammy decided to go and do some more solo stuff. And John stepped into the producer role at that point. You know, he's a local guy. Mike Frazier is from Canada. So John, you know, is a great producer, great engineer. So he ended up producing a record for Sammy. And I got to assist all over that. Got to know Sammy even more through that. And then at the end of that, I think John decided it was time to kind of move on. And I just was already there and already had a relationship with Sammy. And then he decided to do acoustic records. So he hired me to, to record it. So I got to be the first engineer on a Sammy session. And then evolving from there, there was a live record that he did. You know, he gave me the, the Pro Tools files, like, you know, hey, clean these up. I want to hear all these live recordings. And so I decided to kind of just go overboard. It's like, I'm going to make this sound really good. I want him to be really impressed. You know, I want this gig. And so came in to meet him. It's like, and I played him the mixes and he was just blown away. He's just like, whoa, it's like, we're going to make a record out of this. It wasn't going to be a record, but he just wanted to hear the live recordings. But I cleaned them up and made him you know, polished him up, made it sound like a record. And he was blown away. And it's like, okay, we're going to make a record out of this. <laughs> so we picked, you know, all the best songs from the, I don't know, 14 shows that they recorded and made a live record out of it. So that was my first mixing gig with Sammy. 
And then now fast forward, I just did another record with him um, that's coming out in January of 2019. And on this record, I got to be the producer, the engineer and the mixer. So pretty excited about that one. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We got to stop for a second because I got to, I got to roll back and, oh, sure. and ask I know. you. There's a lot that happened. You, well, yeah. I know. It's like 10 years there. I just fast forwarded through. <laughs> okay. So first of all, biggest takeaway working with Andy Johns. Oh, um, yeah. Andy, that's when I really got to sit next to a great legend who's like, I, I think, you know, Andy is a producer first and his second engineer you know he's a great engineer and gets great sounds but like he's able to like get those sounds and then just focus on the music and the vibe and the groove you know i'm hearing these legends play in the room i think they're killing it and andy's like it's like no you guys can do better try to you know change it up do this groove or do that groove and and he really pulled it out of them so that was a big takeaway from that and also you know watching his engineering chops and seeing where he placed the mics you know that was that was key because he was getting some amazing sounds and, you know, he recorded, you know, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> like, I want to see how he's, you know, what's his technique, you know? So I took pictures and documented all of his settings and all of his, you know, his stuff. It's like, I got to learn all the secrets. Like, this is my chance to, you know, to watch a legend work. And, you know, Sammy loved the way he recorded everything. So I just kept duplicating everything that Andy Johns kept doing, you know? So it's like, okay, room mics go here drum mics go here, you know, use these mics. So I just kept doing what he did. Just to kind of keep that sense of continuity. Yeah. Interesting. What about the biggest takeaway from Mike Frazier? What I took away from Mike, you know, I used to always kind of stress about the details, you know, make sure that Mike's just in the right exact place or, you know, make sure you use the best this or that. You know, Mike was just kind of, you know, we know whatever works, you know, I'd say, you know, well, what Mike do you want to use in the hats? Like, I don't know, what do you got? Just, you know, put anything on it, I don't care. You know, it's just like where I'm kind of stressing about the details. He's just like, you know, use, you know, whatever. It's just about capturing the the art, you know, just get hmm. the vibe, you know. I think that's what Mike's really about. You know, his, his records sound amazing. You know, he's one of the greatest rock producer engineers I know. So this uh, relationship with Sammy has turned into a long-term thing. Sammy's got a lot of experience. He's been around the block. Yeah guy looks great he's like in his 70s right 71. and he looks fantastic <laughs> he looks like he's like in his he 50s late 50s early 60s at best or at worst mm -hmm. so what have you learned from sammy about the recording process and about all of this the thing for sammy is that he's he doesn't like spending a bunch of time in the studio he's just he likes to get things done so what i've learned from him is just get it right from the beginning make sure you've got your level set right you know because he's not going to come back and do it again because you didn't set the levels right you know so he just wants to go in and just do it mm -hmm. and uh you know i like that he trusts me you know he looks to me for getting the right take you know he'll rely on me he i don't think he wants a yes man you know so sometimes i'll push back a little bit you know and i'll say you know i think we should punch this line in again you know this isn't working you know let's try this again but uh yeah i think that's you know really what i kind of take away from from sammy is that he's just you know be fast is what you have to do with him yeah, be fast. He doesn't like kind of waiting around. He's a he's a high energy guy, as you can see. And so it's just like it's like, go, 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 go. Yeah. You know, so you got to have your chops and be on your toes and be ready to go. And, you know, it's also he's about like positive vibes. You know, when he walks in, he just kind of lights up the room because he's that kind of personality. So, you know, you just have to be, you know, cool and go with the flow and, and be easygoing. And, and that's what he likes. You know? Yeah. Now, I'm sure at the end of a session, you don't say, OK, Sammy, Write me a check. That's a really good question. So at that level, he's got people that just pay you. He'll just say, you know, uh, his business manager, his name's Renata. It's like, hey, just bill Renata, you know, just, you know, whatever, you know. And we talk about my rates, you know, just so it's fair. Right. And then, you know, then there's no question. They know what days I work and I just, I just submit my invoice to the, to the business manager and I get paid immediately. <laughs> so it's never a problem getting, getting paid with him. And how much work, say. work is that like on a monthly basis with him? Um, you know, it comes and goes. When I was working on the record, it was the better part of the year. It was it consumed. I think it started in like, we started kind of cutting demos like February of last year of uh, 2018. And then we just started cutting real tracks. I, I guess I should probably go back for the listener and say what his, his next um, super group is. After Chickenfoot became this band called The Circle. And The Circle is him and Michael Anthony again from Van Halen. And then he's got his longtime guitar player, Vic Johnson, who's like, I think one of the most underrated guitar players ever. And then he's got uh, legend Jason Bonham on drums, who is the son of John Bonham. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> there's my other tie into Led Zeppelin again, you know, so 
I took everything I learned from Andy Johns and applied it to to Jason Bond. Jason, wow, yeah. so amazing. It's, he is such an amazing drummer. You know, he's definitely got some big shoes to fill, and he does it like amazingly well. And when he goes out and plays with Sammy Live, you know, he they play the catalog they have is huge. So they'll play anything from you know Montrose stuff to solo stuff to Van Halen stuff. And I'm sure know, a couple and, Zeppelin covers and here absolutely and there. Zeppelin. So you know. Jason and Vic have to play all that stuff and they nail it, you know, it's wow. just, it's, it's amazing. So when Sammy so, calls, do you just clear your calendar? I try to, I always, I think that's kind of got me to where I am is that anytime he called me in the future, I'd say, yeah, I'm available. You know, I'll just, I'll make it work. You know, I just wanted to always be there. I wanted to be the guy. Yeah. Now that we've, you know, built a relationship, you know, I try to move things if I have to, if there's things I can't, you know, cause I've made commitments to other clients or family stuff, then I come back and say, I can't do that date, but how about this date? You know, mm. and then usually they can roll with it. You know, I, my fear was always there. You're just going to get somebody else and I'm going to lose my gig. But now there's a bit of respect there now. And I don't think at this point, after 10 years of working with him, that he's just going to go find somebody else, you know, so he'd rather just wait a day or two and just use me and get it done. Hmm. So, you know, I do my best at uh, accommodating him. But if, um, if I've got other commitments, you know, I just let him know. There's one time I actually had to bring my kid to work <laughs> with him to do a session and ask, hey, you mind if I bring my kid? He was like, yeah, it's fine. So, so let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Work-life balance. You have mm-hmm. a family. I do have a family. I would say I have kind of a modern family. <laughs> Tell me about so, it. So uh, I, uh, I am divorced. I have a kid, a nine-year-old daughter who's amazing, and uh, she's kind of becoming a musician herself, uh-huh. playing violin, and, and uh, she's already got natural rhythm and pitch, and that's awesome. Um, so I, um, um, I have to share with my ex. So I have her on the weekends and I just work like Monday through Friday and then I get her on the weekend. So I usually try to take the weekends off. If I absolutely have to work, then I make arrangements mm. and I do that. But that's kind of my balance. I just try to work Monday through Friday and then take the weekends off and spend time with her. So it's just the two of you or is there a significant um, other? Yeah, I have a, a girlfriend as well mm. and she's a very talented musician, uh, engineer herself. Oh, okay. Um, so we get along really well because we're kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, she's uh, a brilliant artist named Pamela Parker, and I'm working on her record too. So it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, that's coming out next year as well. So interesting. Uh, so you uh, you live in Pleasanton. I do. Your studio is in San Francisco. Uh, Sammy's up across the Golden Gate Bridge mm-hmm. in uh, in San Rafael. Yep. Essentially, uh, Marin. You do a lot of driving around. I do a lot of commuting. When I made the move out to Pleasanton away from San Francisco, which is about an hour away, uh, due east of San Francisco, I decided to build a mix room at home. Like most engineers, it seems to be the most common thing now. Yep. Even like the major guys, you know, even John Cunabert, did it. You know, he was working out of the plant in Sausalito and then that closed. And he's like, well, I'm just going to set up in my house, you know, <laughs> like he's yeah. still killing it out there. So, you know, I think it's if you've if you've got the ears, you can work anywhere. You know, if you do the right treatments to your room and you have the space, you know, you can do it. So I do a lot of mixing these days. And so I've just built a mixed room in an extra room in my house. And that's, I'd say, the majority. So my commute is usually, you know, a one minute walk down the hall. Um, but if I need to, yeah, then I commute into the city and work with clients there at Hyde Street. Mm. Um, or I'll drive up to Sammy's and work there. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. 
There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. So you use your, your Hyde Street location just as really a tracking place. Yeah. I don't have clients at my house, so if they want to work with me, then I'll just go in and work out of, of Hyde Street and work there. Let's talk a little business. Do you have like a consistent rate or do mm-hmm. you have different rates for different oh, people? Oh, good question. I do have different rates. I try to kind of stick to my rate, but it does fluctuate. If it's like a huge album project, then I'll kind of work out an all-in deal Yeah. on that. If there is a client that um, I think is really good, you know, I will work some deals with them, you know, if they can't afford me, mm-hmm. you know, I'll do that. But for the most part, I do try to stick to my rate. It just slides a little bit. And what is your overall philosophy, financially speaking? Do you spend every dollar that comes in? Are you mm-hmm. savored? Do you lust after gear on a continual basis and buy things that you shouldn't <sighs> be buying? Or <laughs> <laughs> what's? Yeah, it's tough being a studio owner too. I always have my eye on like what I want to get next. You know, what, yeah. what do I want to buy next? But, you know, it, I've learned from the past that, yeah, don't overextend yourself. You know, don't spend more than you, than you have, you know, because being in debt is a, a big stress that nobody likes. So I don't put myself into debt unless I know I can afford it. So I only kind of buy gear when I have a, a little bit of extra funds, you know, when I know that I'm going to make a little more money than, you know, I'll get whatever I need to get. Mm-hmm. to increase my tools. But for the most part, it's, you know, don't spend more than you can afford. It, being a, a homeowner and a studio owner and, you know, and, and a father, it's just like, I have to balance that. I can't go nuts and, and break the bank and just buy a bunch of gear. And at the end of the day, it's just like, I have everything I need to make a great record. It's just like, I don't know if one more preamp or one more compressor is going to make me any more money. You know, it's like, I can't justify that. It's like, I think I have everything I need. And, you know, it gets tempting to buy new plugins and stuff, but it's like, I have so many. It's just like, what else do I need? I can make a record with what I have, you know, I, I know have all the tools. I find myself sometimes when I get an email blast or see an ad for, you know, plugin. Yeah. I, and I just think, do I really need another plugin? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, how many plugins does one need? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I've kind of just stopped. I just start keep, I just keep deleting the emails. Like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Another reverb, another compressor, another EQ. What else do we need? (laughs) So it sounds like you kind of keep a a diversified bit of business going in terms of your clients, because some people, when they get locked in with a high profile client like Mm -hmm. Sammy, they tend to not really look for work outside of that. Mm -hmm. But it seems that Sammy's one of your clients. Yeah. I would He's say, not yeah. your only client. Right, exactly. He's just, just one of them. I don't think he has enough work to keep me busy full time. It's only when he's working on a record that, that I have to kind of put other things off. So it almost kind of hurts it in a way when I have to commit so much time to him that I have to kind of tell my other clients, it's like, look, sorry, I'm in this project. Like, if you can just hold on another month or two, it's like, I'll get to you. But if I can't, then let me know. I'll refer you to somebody else. Mm. You know, I can uh, refer one of my colleagues I know is not going to steal my client, you know, it's just like, you know, this guy needs some overdubs, you know, just do this. But, you know, I've made a lot of good relationships with a lot of uh, engineers in the Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah. It's just balances. And that's the other nice thing about knowing so many engineers is that you can rely on other people to cover gigs for you. And, and sometimes people throw me gigs and I cover for them. But back to your question um, about Sammy not being my only client. Yeah. I still have to uh, cater to all my other clients too. And, um, and still kind of find new clients too, you know, we all have to keep working. So, yeah. Do you diversify at all as far as, uh, types of stuff that you do, or do you tend to stick to music? Mostly it's music, but actually back to Sammy, there's a thing that I do with him that is not music. And that is that he has a radio show that gets, um, syndicated all across the country. I'm like, uh, I don't know how many stations, it's like hundreds of stations across the country. He's on the local station here in the Bay area on, um, the bone. Um, so I've been recording these radio shows for him for a couple of years 
and it's a, um, it's a two hour show and he plays kind of whatever he wants. It's classic rock stuff. And he knows everybody in the business. So he will, you know, tell these stories and stuff about all these, you know, hanging out with, you know, all these other artists and celebrities and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the one other non music thing that I do. But uh, yeah, other than that, yeah, it's all just music or so do you <laughs> recording radio shows. So you and Sammy just put the show together at, at his studio. Yeah. Yeah. He has kind of a, a loose script, but for the most part, he just kind of goes off the cuff. And then you just yeah. slot the music in. Um, no, somebody else does that. Somebody, somebody else, else does the radio uh, producers do that. I just record it. And once in a while, he asked me a question. So I have the talk back mic routed in to record as well. And then I just send him that. So he'll ask me a question or something. So it's kind of fun. I'm like on my computer on Google. Like he'll ask a question. I'm just frantically typing to try to get the answer. Because, you, know? you know, he won't know it's all. Sometimes I'll have to correct him. He's like, no, that's not the right year. It's actually you know, this year. Oh. That's, this is how you pronounce it. You're the fact thing. checker. I'm the fact checker, yeah. <laughs> so he kind of relies on me for for that kind of stuff so it's fun we have a little bit of back and forth and so yeah if you listen to the radio show once in a while you'll hear him give a shout out to me or ask me a question and i'll be on there oh that's funny which is kind of cool so but other than that you're not doing audiobooks or anything like that i did one not as fun as music though <laughs> yeah. not as fun so, yeah but yeah. you know I, I do what i have to do and um i don't mind doing that kind of stuff as a resident of the Bay Area, do you feel, and as a recording engineer, do you feel like you're surviving? That's a good question because this is not necessarily the, the hotbed of music, unlike L.A. or New York or Nashville. You know, and I always think about moving, but I seem to have, you know, find a nice balance. And, you know, I, I'm making a decent living as a recording engineer in the Bay Area. It seems to be working for me, you know, so... Uh, you know, and I've got family here, so I'm 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 here to stay. Yeah, is it, it's just the work has been consistent in the Bay Area for me. Uh huh. And so I just you know I just stay here and ride as long as I can. Maybe someday I'll move to L.A. or Nashville or New York. But mm. for now, I'm I'm happy here and I'm making a living. We both are parents, so mm -hmm. there is that aspect where I'm sure we consider the schooling situation for our kids and mm -hmm. and the proximity to our kids. So of course we would you know. It's like, as far as I'm concerned, at the age my kids are at, I'm here at least for another eight years, minimum. Yeah. After that, who knows? In one way, it's good, I feel, because, you know, guys like you and me are mm -hmm. sticking it out here. Right, we're the old guard now. I know. <laughs> We've become the old guard. Yeah, right. You know, of course, there's there's a few others that are still around yeah, that are doing absolutely. it, like John Cunaberti. Yeah. Well, so as, as we record this, uh, we're recording this early, but this is actually... Uh, come out it's new year's eve as this has come out mm -hmm. you're the new year's eve show awesome got uh, in there right under right into 2018 that's, <laughs> i made it that's right um what are your new year's resolutions oh yeah i've already kind of started thinking about those i want to be a little more proactive on on social media it's it's you know it's how we market now or at least we have been for the last you know several years uh, i want to be better at that and you know get get new clientele. I want to find a new happening band out there. You know, I want to produce the next big band. So I want to do some more outreach. That's, you know, my goal for 2019 is, you know, see if I can work a little bit more. Love recording and mixing. So we do some more outreach and find some more great bands to work with. You got to get out more, man. I do got to get out more. It gets hard. You know, you get in your comfort zone and mixing from home, you know. Well, so. and I, yeah, I think it can be hard too, because, you know, you as we said, you do a little bit of driving around mm -hmm. and that can be uh, exhausting, of course. So, and then you live in Pleasanton. Mm -hmm. So once you get home, I'm sure the temptation is, oh man, I'm home. It's been a long day. Mm -hmm. I need to stay home and rest. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of like, well, let's trek into San Francisco and go see a band or go to Oakland and go see a band, whatever. And I do that too. Sometimes it's hard to drag <laughs> You know, drag me out at my age to go see it. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm only 47, but um, but still, it's not like I was in my 20s and I'm just gung ho and stay up all night. But you know, I do force myself out to go to band, out and see live bands. And I think that's kind of maybe the saving grace of the music industry. Nobody's buying music anymore, but I feel people are still going out and seeing live music. You can't really replace that. You know, it's always going to be there. You got to yeah. somehow bottle the uh, energy that Sammy has and. <sighs> Yeah, get some of that. I think yeah. we all. I, I could, could use that. that and sell that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he did right in the form of tequila. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> you did for sure. It definitely makes you happy. I don't know if it makes you any younger, but it definitely keeps you young and soul. I don't know, man. He like I said, he looks he looks young for his age and is full of energy. So he's doing something right. Indeed. Yeah, and every time I will, there's a lot of times I'll, I'll mix live performances of him, and I'm watching the videos, I'm mixing it, and looking at him, it's like that guy's not in his seventies. Are you kidding me? Incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, he has a really infectious energy. Where can people find out more about you? You can go to my website, which is jamesonder.com. You can check my Instagram, which is at jamesonder. Yeah, those are the, the two places. You can find everything really on my website, which I'm sure you'll put a link in the show notes. Which I have to thank you because not many people do this, and including myself, and I'm going to rethink this, but man, I went to your website. I needed to get in touch with you quickly and Boom, there was the phone number right on the front of the website. I didn't have to look for it. Yeah. It wasn't hidden anywhere. I didn't have to fill out a form. I just called you. Yeah. I want people to call me, talk to me. It really helps to just, you know, know the person you're working with and the personality. Yeah. You know, I do so much remote mixing. A lot of times I don't even talk to the people. They just email me a, a link and here's the tracks, make it sound good. I'm like, okay. To the up and comer, what yeah. are your words of wisdom? I would say stay positive and keep going because this business has its ups and downs. And uh, if you love it and, and stay with it, you know, something good will come out of it, you know? And I still have my ups and downs and thinking like, wow, it's a slow month. Like maybe this is it, maybe I'm done. You know, and I think every engineer goes through that. And I even hear the big name guys. It's like, oh, the phone's not ringing for two days. I'm done. I'm done. But it hasn't happened. And it hasn't, I think it happened to anybody. You know, as long as you stay current, you keep working. And I know I talk about this a lot, but I think it's important, especially in this day and age, and especially where you and I live, as expensive as it is, to me, financial responsibility goes hand in hand with being a freelance engineer, no matter what discipline of engineering you're in, because of those ups and downs. There's going to be times where you're going to not want to continue on. Or you're going to, somebody's going to yeah. try to, stop you or some, something's going to come up where you might consider quitting. If you can be financially on top of it, that removes a barrier. Yeah. Uh, one of the barriers. And that can be the one thing that would have broke you, right? Yeah. I mean, can you think of the times in your past as a freelancer mm -hmm. where you have considered, maybe I shouldn't do this? Yeah. There definitely was sometimes. Uh, I would say it was um, when I got divorced, I was kind of the stay-at-home dad, and I kind of put my engineering career second, and I was just, you know, stay-at-home dad. And then when I got divorced, it was like, oh, well, now I got to work. I got to support my kid and pay my mortgage. And so I just, you know, went full on and, and just kept positive, and it's just like, I got to do this. But there were definitely times where I looked at other jobs like, Maybe I should just go into tech. There's a lot of tech in the Bay Area and they make a lot of money. I need to make a lot of money. But when I thought about working in a cubicle or at a desk, it just crushed my soul. Just like, I can't, I can't do that. I have to sit at a console, not a, <laughs> not a computer desk. You know, <laughs> I got to Can you imagine being at a, at a corporate job and saying, you know, I'd be a lot more comfortable if we could put a mixing console here <laughs> yeah, at exactly. my desk. I'd be way more productive. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I keep going with audio because that feeds my soul. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they want to be on the podcast too. Possibly, yeah. yeah. We could include them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the divorce, you know, yeah. we can get into that or we can't, you know, I don't yeah. want to, you know, dig up it's, old, old uh, hard things, but yeah, was that a point in your life that really... Um, pushed you back into audio hardcore? Yeah, it did. I would even say there was times where when I was working for John, he would say, hey, I got these uh, sessions with Sammy. I need you to assist me on these gigs. And I was just like, dude, I'm sorry, I can't. I gotta, I gotta be here for my kid. I don't have a sitter. And he's like, all right. And I just felt like, there goes my career. It's just passing me by, like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know. So, uh, so yeah, it was a little bit of a, a, a setback just, yeah, career-wise, but I just went full and into it. So I'm, I'm better now that I am divorced. I think everybody is, you know, when you decide to get one, it's just, my career just took off because I put my career first. It also I mean, family's always first, but you know, I had to like work and this is what I, you know, I, I realized like I've been doing this for over 10 years. Like what else can I do? Like, I can't do anything else. This is what I'm best at. Yeah. So I have to do this. So I just went full on and, and just devoted all my energy to it. And then it turned around and I've been, you know, busier now than I've ever been. Once again, you know, looking at stumbling blocks, that could have been a stumbling block for you. Yeah. I could have been miserable working some 
corporate job, wishing I had gone into audio. <laughs> so if we could both share words of wisdom, I would yeah. say that if you get pushed down a little bit and mm-hmm. life throws you a curve and you want to stay in audio, figure out a way. Come yeah. up with a different perspective. Exactly. Well, very cool, man. Thank you so much for meeting me for coffee. Absolutely. Thank you for yeah. having me. And uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed the parking lot sounds that have surrounded us because <laughs> we're outside of the coffee shop. And uh, fortunately, it didn't rain. Mm-hmm. The rain kind of came to a, a halt. So we've been very fortunate. So happy new year to you. Yeah. And happy and, new year uh, too. I hope 2019 is great for you. Thanks again for being on the show. And uh, yep. until we meet again. Yeah. See you later. Thanks, Matt. All right. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Jamison Durr here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Reminder to stop by the WCA website. That's at workingclassaudio.com. Have a look around and click on one of our sponsor links that uh, help make the show possible. Also want to thank Cliff Truesdale for the WCA theme music, Chuck Smith for the voice, and I especially want to thank you for listening each week. Happy New Year to you. And until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.